sermons. And we couldn't say our R's very well, so we would say sermons are boring. So luckily for you, you get to leave while I preach the boring sermon. But your time will be great. All right, you guys excited? Let me pray for you. Lord God, thank you for each one of these eager students, these eager minds. We pray that you open their hearts to receive the message of your word, of your gospel. And even at this young age, they are hearing and understanding on their level who you are and what you've done for them. Bless their time, bless their teachers. In Jesus' name, amen. We've mostly filled in the auditorium. 10.30, not so much. On Communion Sundays, the sermon comes a little earlier in our worship service. So today, uh, we've come through uh, a two-year sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew. And then last month, Really, this month, November, we did a sermon series on the book of Titus. Today, we kick off our Advent series, which looks at really sort of the, the heritage, the ancestry of Jesus, but how he relates to different uh, of his forefathers. That's how Jesus is the son of Adam, the son of Abraham, the son of David, and the son of Joseph. Um, so today we're going to look at Jesus' relation to Adam. Today's passage is not really a classic Advent passage, but it's from Paul's letter to the Romans, which can be difficult to jump right into the middle of, because Romans is a wonderful letter that systematically, theologically lays out the gospel. And we're just going to jump right into the middle of it, um, but that's okay. We'll get our bearings, and we'll see what it has to teach us about the Lord. So uh, I've got actually the Romans passages printed in your bulletin, not in the outline as I usually do it. So if you want to follow from that, or if you have an ESV uh, or other translations, follow along. This is Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin, in, sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift. By the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Lord God, these are amazing words. They are hard to understand, especially as we jump in with uh, not a lot of context from earlier in the book of Romans. So help us to understand what they say, what they teach us about Adam, about Christ and about our condition, and help us to apply it, to open our hearts to what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In life, in business, in sports, in vacation planning, in the entertainment business, even in ministry, you should always have A plan B. As the German military strategist Helmut von Molke said, no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. No matter how well thought out plan A is, chances are something will happen that was unanticipated to to just alter everything. You better have a plan B or think of one quickly. All right, in the, in the theater world, there's always the understudy, right? Someone who learns all the lines for the part so that if the main actor or actress gets sick or hurt, the show doesn't have to shut down. The show can continue with the understudy. In sports, players on the bench better be ready to come in and play and replace the starters if they get injured in fact, this year, that's really come to the forefront with the Arizona Cardinals. And all of the NFL sports world is, is watching and saying, how are they doing this with not a very talented-looking team? And they have this philosophy of, it's called next man up. If the guy in front of you goes down, you better be ready to play, step up. You know, you got, better have the playbook down. Their quarterback got injured. The backup stepped right in, ran all the same plays, and they've remained very successful. Plan B's are vital. Now, I'm a little embarrassed to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyways. When I was a young youth pastor, young and foolish, in Delray Beach, Florida, I put together a spring break trip with another youth pastor. He was down in Fort Lauderdale. We were about 45 minutes away from each other. The plan was that he had a big bus and a lot of kids, and he would save us some room on his bus and come pick us up on the way to a camp, and we would do a week-long spring break 
retreat. It was a fantastic plan. I signed kids up. They showed up Monday morning of spring break, and we sat around and waited for the bus and waited and waited. After an hour, hour and a half, I thought, well, maybe I should call Paul. This was before we had cell phones. I could probably try to page him first. But So I called his office and got to him, and he says, hey, David, what's up? Well, um, we're here waiting for you. Where's the bus? Where are you? Um, David, spring break is next week. Not for Palm Beach County, it's not. Neither one of us ever meant to, went, thought to check whether Broward County and Palm Beach County had different spring breaks. So I think the blood all rushed out of my head, and I panicked and thought about lying to all the parents. Um, but he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to come down here. You're going to stay at our church. You're going to take little day trips to the Everglades and the Florida Keys, and we'll make it work. And it did. Thank the Lord I had Paul on my side with a great church with a gym, and it worked out. But always have a plan B. It helps. Or make one up if you don't have one. So today, we're going to look at what sounds like God's backup plan, plan B for humanity. His original plan was to create human beings in his image, set them on the earth, and keep perfect fellowship with them. But then they discovered sin. They got selfish. They rebelled and put their desires over the Creator's desires. The fall of Adam brought sin, corruption, and death into the world. And so, God had to come up with a plan B. But did God already have the plan in place? Or did He make the adjustment after Adam fell into sin? Well, as you read some other some parts of Scripture that uh, maybe give us a clue here, Revelation 13, 8 says this, Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. I'm sorry, I don't have that in your notes, but listen to what it said. Names written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Sounds to me that people's names were written down before the world was created. And the book of life was a record of those for whom Jesus died or would die. And so what looked like plan B was actually plan A all along. God planned and ordained all that was to come before he created anything. And then with creation, knowing that humans would fall into sin that would separate them from him. But that failure had a solution already built into the design. God was not surprised by Adam's sin, just as he's not surprised by anything that happens. He's already made it part of his plan. A plan to display his amazing patience, grace, 
justice and wrath in the history of redemption, and then to reveal the greatness of his son as the second Adam, superior in every way to the first Adam. And that's our theme today. This is a big passage. Hopefully you've heard it before, you've studied it before. But I want to make it a lot easier if it's the first time or first time in a while that you've looked at this passage. Um, because it's a little confusing if you're not used to the phrases Paul uses. So look back over the text. Everywhere you see the phrase, the trespass or the disobedience, and maybe it's phrased differently in different translations. I'm looking at the ESV. Every time you see those phrases, I want you to substitute the fall. Adam's fall in sin. His sin of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And where you see the phrase, the free gift, or the act of righteousness, usually in the second half of the phrases, you can translate that or substitute Jesus' death on the cross. Really just, I'm calling it the cross. His substitutionary atonement. So, if you have your outline there, I've written in there five contrasts that we see between verses 15 and verses 21. And this is sort of my easy translation or easy help you understand the flow of Paul's words, because we're not going to get real deep into the text. But look at the, the parallels and the contrast that Paul calls attention to. Verse 15, the fall caused many to die. The cross has caused God's grace to abound for many. And then verses 16 and 18, the wording is very similar, so I put them together. The fall brought condemnation the cross brought justification, or just standing before the Lord. Verse 17, the fall brought the reign of death. The cross brought the reign of grace. Verse 19, the fall made many sinners. The cross made many righteous. And then verses 20 and 21, after the fall... Law and sin reigned. After the cross, grace and eternal life reign. So I hope that uh, clears things up a little, gives us a little focus as where we're going. Uh, these ten pass, these ten verses that I read, make up one of the greatest theological sections in the entire Bible. This is, and it's maybe one of the most difficult passages in Romans and even maybe the New Testament. So we're not going to work through every single verse and idea here. Uh, we're not going to solve all the questions and theological difficulties that they bring up. We're mostly going to be looking at what it means when we say that Jesus is the second Adam, or the last Adam. Verse 14, if you notice the end, says that Adam was the type of Christ. And so he establishes a parallel, that their lives are linked so we'll look at three ways that Adam and Jesus parallel each other. Um, and right before we do that, I feel like I need to say that if there's any question, we believe Adam and Eve were true historical people, that the scriptures record their lives. All right, I don't 
I feel like I had to do that in years past, but there have been so many theories and uh, there's a lot of even evangelical churches that are teaching that Adam and Eve were just uh, you know, a model or a, a mythological story that helps us explain the fall. Well, here at Potomac Hill, we go with the historical accuracy of the fall. So as we get into it, point one, comparing Jesus and Adam, they both were created sinless and given a choice. Let's look back at verse 14, 15. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Adam and Eve were the only human beings created that were not fallen in sin until Jesus came. They were placed on earth by their creator in a state of innocence, given purpose and direction and with the one instruction that they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But as we remember, Genesis 3 tells us, they both ate of the tree. And God punished them as he said he would. That's what we call the fall of man, Adam's first sin. And so as we say, Jesus is the second Adam, he was also created sinless. Well, how does that work if everybody inherits the sin of Adam? Well, we say Jesus, because he didn't have a human father, right? The virgin birth. Instead, was conceived by the Holy Spirit inside of Mary. He did not inherit Adam's sinful nature. Jesus was created also with a will that was free, and he was certainly tempted by Satan and by his human nature to disobey God, but his entire life was one of perfect obedience. Unlike Adam, he never caved and sinned against God's standards. That's hard for us to fathom, if we're honest. When we truly understand the scope of sin, anything in thought word and deed that violates God's perfect standard is a sin. I and mean, we sin hundreds of times a day probably. But Jesus was perfect and completely in line with God's law. Unlike Adam, who fell. So point two, Jesus and Adam both had one act that had huge consequences. We're going to take two of the verses, verse 12 and verse 18. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. In the early 20th century, there were two young men, one growing up in Germany, the other one in Scotland. 
One would enjoy a long, celebrated career in science, the other in medicine. Both made invaluable contributions to their fields, but their contributions came and had very vastly different effects on the human race. First man, Albert Einstein, the German, became a physicist. And even if we know, have heard of his theory of relativity, equals mc squared, it's maybe the most famous complicated equation that we all know, we can't explain it. And what we sometimes forget is that theory was used as the basis of building the atomic bomb. Einstein wasn't part of building the bomb, but that theory came and unleashed the possibility of destruction on an unprecedented scale. The Scottish man, his name was Alexander Fleming, discovered penicillin, which would introduce healing for afflicted humans on an unprecedented scale. Death came through one man. Life and healing through another man. That's what we have here with Adam and Christ. The consequences of the fall were that not only Adam and Eve, but all of their offspring were now under the curse of sin. We inherited the curse just as all people everywhere and throughout all history have inherited the curse. We are brought into the world, not brought into the world, morally good. We're not even morally neutral. We're brought into the world with the stain of sin in a fallen condition. And we embrace our fallenness when we sin. And it's not just human beings. Romans 8 says that the creation was subjected to futility, bondage to corruption. It groans, eagerly awaiting redemption, all of creation. Douglas Moo, a commentator, explains in the, in the doctrine of original sin, God offers to us an explanation of why human beings so persistently and so universally turn away from God, look only to their own concerns, steal from others, abort babies, make war on one another, slaughter masses of people. They do it because all people were involved in Adam's sin and are stained by its consequences. So just as Adam's one act of, obedience, of disobedience had huge consequences. So also, Jesus' one act of obedience had huge consequences. God had been requiring Israel for thousands of years to sacrifice spotless lambs as atonements for their sin until God sent the ultimate spotless lamb to death. We no longer slaughter animals, lambs, because Jesus took that place. Jesus, the lamb of God, was the sacrifice that satisfied God's penalty for sin. His death 
ushered in the new era, the new covenant, that all who believe in him, who accept his death on their behalf, are pardoned of their sins, are born again, are given eternal life. And so point three, somewhat of an explanation of how this works, that their acts had huge consequences, is that Jesus and Adam were both representatives for others, for groups of others. Look at verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now there's a word in theology that is daunting sometimes, the word imputation. It sounds very complicated. It's not. Essentially, it's anything that another person does that you get the credit or the blame for. It becomes your account, someone else's actions. And Adam's sin is imputed to us. He represented us as a race, as a group, and he failed. And so we failed in him. This might seem like a terribly unfair concept. It's usually the first reaction. It's not fair, except that we, we actually acknowledge this in a lot of different areas in our lives. Think about if a man is the sole breadwinner for his family and loses his job and goes broke, guess what? The whole family's broke. He's their representative head, and they, what happens to him happens to them. If the owner of a company sells that company, now the employees all work for a different company. It's going to affect them. If a lawyer wins a class action lawsuit, all of his clients win as well. The classic story of representative leadership in the Old Testament is David and Goliath. Remember? Huge battlefield, Philistines on one side, Israel Israelites on the other side, and they both send out a champion, huge Goliath against tiny David. And so when David kills Goliath and wins, all of Israel wins. Goliath losing made all the Philistines lose. They were representatives for others. And so while we have been negatively affected because Adam's sin is imputed to us. The good news is that the second Adam represents us as well. You see, if you don't accept Adam's imputed guilt, then you have no grounds to accept Christ's imputed righteousness. And that is a bad deal for you because they're both true. So put aside your notions of fairness any indignation you have about that, and realize that Jesus had no reason to sacrifice himself for you other than his absolute merciful love that you didn't deserve. 
There are two great imputations when it comes to those who trust in Christ. His perfect record of righteousness gets credited to us. And our sin gets imputed or credited to Him. He paid for it on the cross. We reign in life and not death. Grace abounds to us because of what He did. Even though we don't deserve it. Now, you may have been reading very closely and been struck maybe by some of the words because verse 18 particularly sounds like Paul is saying that just as Adam's sin led to condemnation for all men, he uses the phrase all men are stained by Adam's sin, so Christ's death gives justification for, uses the same phrase, all men. And so it sounds, with a quick reading, that everyone gets Christ's salvation. Is that possible? Is everyone saved in the same way that everyone is stained with Adam's sin? Well, I think what Paul is doing here, he's not really counting, he's not really equating the number of people that they represent. He's assuring us that those that they do represent will be thoroughly affected by their work. All right, in other words, all who are in Adam, which is everyone, die. All those who are in Christ, believers, live. So we are in Adam simply by virtue of being born. We are in Christ when we receive the gift that God offers. So we find ourselves at the beginning of Advent, the first Sunday in Advent. And I'm sure all of you had to make some decisions with your spouses, with your families over this weekend, and you're going to make some more decisions. Uh, when do we put up the tree? Do we hang up just a few strands of light, or do we go full-on Clark Griswold and light up the whole neighborhood with our lights? Do we go to your parents this year, or mine, or both, or neither, or make them come to us? Are we going to send out a letter bragging on our kids, or just a postcard with a picture, or nothing? How many parties are we going to go to? Are we going to be part of the church parade? But as we answer these questions, and we prepare for Christmas... Please don't miss the greater context of Advent, of Christmas. Sin, condemnation, death reigned in the world for thousands of years following Adam's first sin. All of humanity was cursed. As verse 19 told us, the many were made sinners. Anyone righteous looked forward to deliverance. And it all changed when a baby was born, conceived by the Holy Spirit. The baby completely different from any baby born before or baby born after. Because he was fully God, fully man at the same time. Colossians 2.9 says that in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
And that baby grew into a man, perfectly obeying his heavenly Father, knowing that he ultimately would be dying. When we see the manger, remember and see the shadow of the cross. And the bottom line is this, you were under the curse of the fall of man, of Adam's sin, just as every person has inherited Adam's sin. But you've also sinned to deserve that and to deserve the punishment of death and separation from God. That is a given. The big question now is, will you put your faith in Christ so that your life is redeemed by Christ's actions and your sin is pardoned because of His acts of righteousness? Or will you pass up that free gift and stay in the darkness of condemnation and death. While we are preparing ourselves for Christmas, it's very appropriate that we celebrate this morning the Lord's Supper. Remind ourselves that Jesus came to earth with the plan that He would die. That His body would be broken, His blood would be shed in the ultimate act of obedience to the Father. He would undo the curse of the first Adam, reversing the dark spiral of sin, death, and destruction that had been brought into this world. He would open the gates of heaven for all those who call on His name, who trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Join me in this celebration. Take a few moments to pray silently, and then I'll close us in prayer. God, thank you for the scriptures that you just taught in this Lord, without understanding the fall, without an explanation of how sin entered our world, and so we would be bewildered by how people act, by how people rebel against you. But Lord, we have this clear teaching. That the fall brought death and destruction to everyone. And yet, you never left us in the darkness. You never left us in our sin. You provided the way. You gave us Christ, your only son, as a gift. And you sent him as the second Adam, the last Adam, who would undo what Adam had done. God, we praise you 
in the beautiful, working at your plan, and that you offer freely this gift. God, we pray that all those who are in Christ believe will celebrate and share that message. And Lord, we pray that any that are not in Christ would see the glory of redemption. The rest of prayer. Matt, in your bulletin, it's another responsive reading. Lift up your hearts, lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Therefore, with the angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we praise and magnify your glorious name, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Glory be to you, O Lord, most high. Let us grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and go forth in love and serve others in his name. Thanks be to God. Go to peace, my brothers and sisters.